Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. It is hard to believe that we have been having in-depth weekly conversations about movies since 2011. So many great conversations over the years about so many great movies. And some stinkers. Well, true. But you know, producing this show week after week requires a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions. In season three, we covered even more great adaptations like The Night of the Hunter and It Happened One Night, both part of our Couples on the Run series. We talked about No Country for Old Men. The Coen brothers so rarely adapt someone else's work. We had some fun rom-com adaptations like About a Boy, based on the Nick Hornby novel, and Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, adapted from Rachel Cohn and David Levithan's book. In our terribly and naively named foreign language series, we discussed the brilliant City of God and the Diving Bell and the Butterfly, which I won't ever be able to watch again, ever. But could you read the original memoir? I don't know, maybe? We had our Richard Dysart series with adaptations like The Day of the Locust and Being There. Plus, we had that fantastic interview with the man himself. <laughs> the one where we had him sit on the floor? Because this chair was so squeaky. <laughs> Good times. We did our first Tom Hanks series with Forrest Gump adapted from Winston Groom's novel, plus Apollo 13 based on Lost Moon by Jim Lovell. And we did another year series looking at films from 1981, including Das Boot, Gallipoli, and Thief, all based on books. Listeners can dive deeper into all of these original stories and more at thenextreel.com slash originals. Every book, play, movie, video game. Video game. <laughs> you bet. We have talked about some video game adaptations as well. It doesn't matter the source, just follow the link. Every purchase supports the podcast. Check out the full list at thenextreel.com slash originals and get reading, watching, performing, or playing today. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. In just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. It took us a while to settle into the show's format, so you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. So uh, you saw everything this week, I think is what they tell me, that you saw. went to movies and you saw them all. I saw them all. You loved Walter Mitty? I did. 
I did. I did. I'm really glad to hear that. I know. I think. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Maybe I was. I was in a mood for movies, or I don't know. But I loved Walter Mitty. I loved Saving Mr. Banks. I loved Philomena. I liked American Hustle. And then I, I liked Inside Lewin Davis, and I, hmm, I guess I'd say that I really liked Dallas Buyers Club. You really did. You see them all. You saw them all. I did. I, I, it's I, only been like three days since I last talked to you. <laughs> it's been a busy three days. <laughs> Jeez, man. I love it. No, I know. What are you going to do? It's catch-up time. It's like there's, you know, I've got to feel like I'm somewhat on the ball. You do. You should. Yeah. I uh I don't know. I didn't I didn't do what you did. And I'm <laughs> I'm now I'm I I should have used that catch-up time, but I didn't. We had we had the, a lot of family in town and it, none of them. See, here's my problem. I don't have anybody in my immediate family, who is as much of a goon for films like you are, and me, right? Yeah, right. And so when there are conflicting demands, everyone in my family, you know what they want to do? Probably hike. Mm. Like go spend time outside. I was going to say play Pinochle, but I guess that wasn't it. No, but there's a great game called Anomia that causes you to like take people you love and just scream at them. You should go look up that game. It's just horrible. It's a it's a Mensa game. It makes you real mad, and it's just horrible sounds come out of your mouth. It sounds like the opposite of that one where you lie on each other's bellies, and everyone starts laughing just to make each other laugh. <laughs> there's the laughing game, and then there's the screaming game. Oddly, Mensa chooses the screaming game. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. But you get my point. When you don't have anybody who is really supporting you and you're part of the of the you know, you're part of the tribe, you gotta do your part. And my part was to not do any of the movies that I desperately wanted to catch up on. So I'm way behind. Nobody in my family was got that's just why I think I've said this before. This is why I bred, but my children are not old enough yet to be my official movie buddies at um, at the older movies. Mm. And so I'm I'm just waiting for that day. Pining. NC-17. <laughs> <laughs> I kid. That's a joke. Oh, my goodness. That's a joke. Soon oh, enough. Soon in the realm enough. of the senses. Oh, <laughs> No, thank you. <laughs> uh, this is what I, I thought of another series that we need to do down the road. <laughs> Wildly uncomfortable movies that are just too much sex. People, thank you for joining us. This is a happy, deepest of happy New Year's to you. Uh, we uh, hope that you have, um, hope that you had fantastic festivities. This is the next reel, and this is I'm Pete Wright, and that over there is Andy Nelson, and we spoil movies. And you can find out more about the movies we have spoilt at thenextreel.com. You can read the blog stylings of Steve Sarmento at nextreel.com/blog. You can catch up with all of our films that we have ever rated or are going to see at, at uh, uh, flickchart.com slash the next reel or letterboxd.com slash the next reel. Uh, and of course, join the conversation at facebook.com slash the next reel or Google Plus slash plus the next reel podcast. It's the best way to find us over there. All six people who are calling us on Google Plus. <laughs> six. I'm telling six. you, one day this thing's going to take off. Uh, <laughs> Google Plus. <laughs> <laughs> Andy, can you fill us in on uh, how uh, did the last week go with the uh, Instagram guess the movie hashtag pony prize challenge? You know, I, I'm going to have to really start doing something to make these more challenging again because you screwed it up again. I you tell you, I, I picked a nice picture of a house in the country in the autumn and. First picture, Cameron L. Ryan nailed it right out of the gate. And I was like, man, what am I doing? How did she figure out that that was the firm? I have no idea. That's so good. I guess if anyone pieces together, like listens to the show, pieces together, well, let's see. He's doing this crazy Tom Cruise movie fest. Maybe uh -huh. it's a Tom Cruise movie. Uh huh. I, I need to start picking things I'm not actually watching. 
too much. Yeah. You so give, you anyway, give too much. I do, I do. But it was it was still a good week. So congratulations, Cameron. You are entered to win our pony prize. It is not going to be a blue whale. No. No. We we haven't quite Nor worked that Nor is out. it going to be, if you were literally looking forward to any Tom Cruise paraphernalia, we've just taken all of that out. It was heavy up on Tom Cruise, but because you didn't give Andy any satisfaction. Guess didn't. on the first movie. I know. You had to wait. You had to just go right out of the first That's picture. It. So Andy's bitter now, and so he took all the Tom Cruise stuff out. That's right. The boxers he wore in Risky Business, gone. Mm-hmm. The crane he wow. operated in War of the Worlds, gone. <laughs> you get it was it. It was like seventeen story <laughs> construction crane, gone. That's right. Shipping That's crane. Right. Uh, <laughs> 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 but there will be other fantastic prizes in there. <laughs> we should talk about trailers. Let's. talk about um transcendence mm. have you seen the trailer the first official trailer came out uh, it came out a little bit ago it came out uh one million five hundred and seventy thousand three hundred and ninety one youtube views ago so oh that was a while ago came out uh december 20th and this is not the teaser mind you so if you haven't if you've seen the teaser the um johnny depp waxes philosophical teaser you should go see the trailer. Uh, I, I, you know, I like this movie. It's the movie. Oh, yeah. It's the movie that the lawnmower man should have been. Do you know <laughs> what I'm saying? Yeah, that was not. Uh, that was not a great film. It was not a great film. It was not a great film. I love this human machine. Uh, human mach- machine breeding. Uh, anytime we, we, I see that, I get excited about it because I'm already in line for, for my, um, you know, first implants. I want, I want implants. I want, I want Johnny mnemonic style, new memory. I want, and you know, there's a lot of, of my brain that I would gladly give a lot of my brain. People already think I gave up mm-hmm. so that I should just fill in those, those spaces with chips. <laughs> uh, this, <laughs> Uh, I think the movie looks. Uh, I think it looks. It looks interesting and exciting to me. Uh, and I, uh, Johnny Depp, Kate Mara. Uh, we like the uh, the Kate Mara. She's on the uh, the Netflix. Yeah, House of Cards. House of Cards. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, by the way, have you seen the trailer for House of Cards for season two? No, I Very haven't. Very. It's. Something. It was playing in um, uh, the Hobbit. Uh, when I saw the same. Hobbit, yeah, it was in the theater. It was fantastic. Oh, was it, it was in the pre-trailers. Was in the, no, no, this was a. Trailer, trailer. Hmm, interesting. No, I may be lying about that. I can't remember. You probably it's, are. It's all like probably. an hour of everything now. Right, anyway, right. this is uh, director Wally Pfister. Good old Wally. His directorial debut. You know, I hate to say it, but uh, this is the one thing that makes me nervous about Transcendence. Anytime a DP like steps out of the DP role and becomes a director, there it's it's often not a very good movie. It looks great, but it's often not a very good movie. Yeah. Now. It, that trend certainly can be bucked. There are directors who have done that before, and I'm hoping that that uh, good old Wally Fister will join that club. You know, he can join the yeah. Barry Sonnenfeld club. I mean, Barry yeah. Sonnenfeld directed quite a number of good movies. Yeah, I can't name anyone else. <laughs> That's it. The list is short. Well, it you know, we've talked about list. we've talked about uh, old Wally uh, a number of times. He's, uh, he, you know, he um, he's done all the Christopher Nolan stuff: um, mm-hmm. Batman Begins, uh, Dark Knight, Inception, uh, Dark Knight Rises, and those. Uh, you know, Dark Knight Rises. I, I think we did a we did our film board on it. I think people were generally. Uh, not as pleased with the film, but the the you have to admit it was it was good looking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't because of Wally. It wasn't. It he wasn't. did Marley, made people cry about dogs again, and uh, uh, Italian Job. Yeah, I mean he he knows how to shoot a good movie. He sure does. I'm hoping I'm hoping this will be good. I mean it does have a great cast aside from Johnny Depp and Kate Mara, Rebecca Hall's in it, Morgan Freeman, Killian Murphy, Paul Bettany, Cole Hauser, uh, Clifton Collins Jr. I mean it's it's a big cast, lots of people. Right. And uh, uh, I I think it looks like it's 
it looks like a really cool story. Like you said, it does have that lawnmower man sort of vibe. So I think it could end up being really cool. I'm just I'm crossing my fingers it is, but I'm not getting my hopes up on this one. Comes out April 18th, 2014. Buy your tickets now. What's yours? My trailer uh, actually came out. It's a movie that came out in England last year, but it's only coming out in the States here uh, February 7th. And it just looks like a wacky fun time. It's a new Simon Pegg movie called A Fantastic Fear of Everything. You know, Simon Pegg, I just, uh, you know, he's in the Cornetto trilogy. I yeah. can't get enough of the guy. He cracks me up. And this looks really funny. It, he's a, a, an author of children's books who looks like he never really wanted to get into writing children's books. He really wants to write crime stories. And he turns into like this this complete paranoid wreck and afraid to do anything and he's i don't know if he's like got visions of his his little hedgehog character from his children's books or whatever but it looks like he goes down this really wacky crazy trail and the the film looks pretty interesting i mean it gets into some weird little sequences where he and his shrink are walking through little animated lands and stuff and i don't know it looks it looks like it's going to be a wild fun time i'm hoping it's good but it looks really fun so that's mine. A fantastic fear of everything. I think it looks fantastic. Uh, I think it looks like, I think you're right. It, it's a great deal of fun. It looks really, it, there are parts of it that are surprisingly dark uh, yeah. looking. Like it, it looks much more sort of grim than you would expect, I think, from, you know, even something as sort of pleasant as, uh, you know, Shaun of the Dead. There's some yeah. gruesome stuff in there, and it still was fairly lighthearted. And this actually looks, uh, it's got some some interesting dark visuals in it. I'm very excited about it. Well, it, and it, some of the, uh, some of the animation, I mean, the, like the hedgehog stuff, I mean, it has a real Wes Anderson sort of It does. Vibe. I was thinking Doesn't it like that. the Fantastic, yeah, fantastic Mr. Fox. Fox. Exactly. Yeah, it totally is that stop motion animation, kind of these creepy children, <laughs> children's book characters that are a little off-putting, you know? Yeah. And so, I don't know, maybe that's another thing that draws me to it, is it just, it, it does have that dark edge. So, I, you know, I, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be fun. Mm. Good stuff. Yeah, so that's mine. It opens February 7th, limited, and I believe it's going to be streaming pretty soon, too. So, definitely watch for that one. <laughs> All right. Let's do it. Let's do this film. Let's do it. Our New Year entry for 2014. You know, for the kids. Once upon a time, the American dream was power, wealth, and success. But in the city that never sleeps, the American dream is about to get a wake-up call. Just got hired today, you know, entry level. I got big ideas. When the president and owner of 87% of the company's stock drops, then the company, too, has a problem. What we need now is a new president. Some jerk. My leg is on fire. We can really push around. Yo! Yeah, yo, boss! This letter was sent down this morning by the big man himself. Sit down, son. Go ahead. Try it on. Did the Portland City Hall ID a man when they promoted you from the mail room? Well, I guess so. I don't think they promoted me because they thought I was a schmo. The guy's a real moron. Cigarettes? No, thank you. What an imbecile. Come up with this. From Joel and Ethan Cohen. It's fun, it's healthy, the kids will just love it, and we put a little sand inside to make the experience more pleasant. Did you have any idea there'd be such a huge response? This is the president. Oh, I don't think anybody expected this much hoopla. <laughs> I'm getting off this merry-go-round. Plexiglass. The Hutsucker Proxy. Joel Cohen, Ethan Cohen, written by the, Co the brothers Cohen and one honorable Mr. Sam Raimi. Ah, uh, yes. It doesn't, feel, all... it doesn't feel like a Sam Raimi. Well... You don't think so? It doesn't. It it has a sense of wackiness to yeah. it. Like that's the thing with him that works sometimes in his films and sometimes doesn't is kind of his his that a little bit of that zany sensibility. Yeah, yeah. I I uh, I gotta I gotta tell you I'm on the record. I love this movie. 
do you? I love it so much. I think this was your this was your New Year pick. I I saw this once yeah. in the movie theater when it came out. Never again. I didn't even remember that anything about New Year's was associated with this film. Right, but it turns out that's a fairly significant plot device. It is. It's the yeah. whole. It's the whole thing. It's the ticking clock. Yeah. Do you hear me, Bub? Oh, I hear you. I hear you. Uh, so you, okay, since this was my pick, what did tell me? Tell me how it hit you the the second time around. You know, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's an easy film to enjoy. Like it's it's it the fun the kind of the zany screwballness of it. Everything kind of washes over me, and I enjoy it. But at the same time, I find it an easy film to forget. Like it doesn't. I I don't know. It's it's weird. It seems like a lot of the Coen brother comedy clicks with me, and for some reason, this one just doesn't seem to. I don't know if I just don't get as invested in the characters or or what. But I mean, by the time the climax rolls around, I'm just kind of I'm not as invested in the moments happening in the film as I am just kind of waiting for all the pieces to fall in, into place so I can see the end of the film. You know, still enjoying it, but I'm just not that invested in it. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, I, I it's it is fun. I just uh, I I don't know. I don't think this is a Cohen film that I will come back to that often. I think that's too bad. And and I'm you know I okay. So I love this film. I I but I love it. Uh, it's one of those films that I love as the sum of its parts. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that's what you you what I'm sort of reading into your experience with it, which is, you know, it's an, it's a, an easy film to like while you're watching it. Yeah. And if you just let it wash over you, it's, it's, it's good. It's a good film and it leaves you feeling sort of warm and then, you know, you're hungry again. Uh, but the, the piece for me, I, what I like so much about it, I love the fairy tale architecture of it. I love the way it, it brings us into this world of, uh, you know, corporate greed and and I think it's an interesting angle to take on, uh, you know, in an interesting time to take on corporations, right? And to yeah. put this this kind of young buck in the mailroom and watch him on this, you know, mad race to the corner office, uh, and then uh, as a setup, I I think it's a fantastic um, uh, story um, that deals with a fairly complex issue in a very simple way. Uh, mm-hmm. that, you know, it, it deals with corporate greed uh, at the highest levels in a way that is approachable and, and puts kind of a fun bow on it. And I, I like that. I like the way that works. What I don't like, um, I find myself getting annoyed with most of the individual performances at some time or another. <laughs> yes. Right? Yes. Yeah, uh, I think the only one that I, so the the film stars uh, Tim Robbins as Norval Barnes. Uh, he is the young buck and who gets thrust into the the uh, mailroom with hints of Brazil, with not so much steampunk, and uh, he is playing uh, opposite uh, Jennifer Jason Lee as Amy Archer, the uh, Pulitzer, straight out of a thirties screwball comedy. Exactly, uh, and she is uh, she's the Pulitzer Prize winning uh, journalist. Uh, who is uh, undercover working for uh, Norval Barnes, and uh, Paul Newman as Sidney J. Musburger. The um, he is the uh, he's the vice president of the company, and he's he's the uh, a foil the foil. Uh, other great uh, and brief performances. I think Charles Durning uh, is wearing Hudsucker. He may have fifteen lines in the film, but they're all fantastic. And he's and, yeah, I, I think he's actually one of my favorites in the movie. Yeah. I don't know why. Just his part, it's just such a simple part, but I think he just does it so well. Yes. Absolutely. And and I love the fact that when we finally discover and this is we'll probably talk about this, when we finally discover the you know, at the end of the film, why he jumps out the window. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know about you, but my first response is why didn't we see a movie about that? <laughs> 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 Even though I love this movie, I think that he he would have been that that would have been an interesting film too. Right, so right. Um, it, we have uh, let's see some other characters. Bruce uh, Campbell. Bruce, Bruce Campbell is obviously in this. The... Is a, he's one of the other reporters. Yeah. Um, uh, and John Mahoney is the editor of the newspaper. Absolutely, John Mahoney. He's he's 
Uh, he's good, too. We have John Goodman, uh, who's in this uh, briefly as the newsreel announcer. We hear, hear a lot of him. Uh, and uh, Steve Buscemi, uh, standard Cohen cast as the yeah, beat, kind of ha- beatnik bartender. Right, and then you got John Polito sticking yeah. in as just like one little scene. Very so you do have some of those guys. And I love Jim Trufrost. As Buzz, Buzz the, the elevator, elevator operator, yeah. He's he's pretty funny in his uh in his little part that uh I don't know, it just that fits for me in the the vibe of the film. I kind of like him in this. Oh yeah. It, you know, in terms of of pulling off the stereotype nineteen uh it, you know, that that sort of real stereotype nineteen thirties um kind of vibe. Yeah. Uh he nails it. Like he's a caricature, a perfect caricature of of the elevator boy. Um, I just his voice, the sort of pinchy whine of his voice, the the accent, the, everything just comes together for him. Like that little hat snap yeah. that he does, you know, all that stuff. Just oh, like it, it fits perfectly. It really does, and and that's where you see, I, I think, you know, other issues start to fall. It, you know, other performances start to to kind of break a little bit. I I don't. I don't get the feeling that Tim Robbins really keeps it, uh, you know, uh, plays it quite that tight uh, throughout the the course of the film. It it feels like it comes off the rails, and and uh, it, you know, in in contrast, I think Jennifer Jason Lee uh, goes a little bit overplayed. Um, I, I find her a little bit, yeah, I tough to she, watch. She hits me a few times where I feel like. Like sometimes she feels like she's nailing kind of that '30s screwball vibe, and sometimes she feels like she's an actress having a lot of fun playing somebody. Look at me, I'm 1930s yeah. screwball. Right, exactly, yeah. and it just is, it doesn't quite come across as much yeah. as I'd like it to. So, yeah. uh, now that said, right, if you look at the individual performances overall, um, you know. You mentioned how you sort of connect with the other Coen Brother comedy, and and I do too. But I, I think this movie sort of presents kind of a binary um, uh, approach to their their tentpole comedies, right? When you look at this compared to, um, you know, what's that other thing that I don't like? Big Lebowski. Yeah, man, I don't connect with that at all. And see, that's the one I connect with more. So I it's, know but- that. There's a thing about their comedy that, I don't know, I think some of it works for some people sometimes, and some of it just doesn't work for people. Like uh, Burn After Reading, I could never connect with that one. I had the hardest time getting into that film. I just didn't I like it. it at all. I loved it. And You're see, crazy. There you go. There you go. I don't know. They're, they're, this, this to me, you know, I've, I've read some people comparing this uh, or calling this, putting it in the category of lesser Cohen along with like intolerable cruelty and uh, the lady killers, you know? And I mean, I, I didn't mind either of those films, but they weren't their best films. Um, yeah. See, I definitely, I would categorize those two as lesser Coens. Absolutely. But not these burn after yeah, reading see, and Hudsucker proxy. I find them. Well, as... I, don't, I don't know about burn, burn after reading. I would call it lesser only because I didn't like it. I don't know if, if that's the term you use for a lesser film, um, I don't know. I, I, to me, it just didn't seem, I, I, maybe I wouldn't call burn after reading lesser because I think lesser is just like, they're not trying to do some big extravagant thing or, or say some big message or something. I don't know. What would you call a lesser film? Yeah, I don't know. See, now that you ask me like that. <laughs> like, is it lesser well, thought, only because yeah. you don't like it, or is it lesser because it's just it's not one of the things that they're trying to do something with? You know, it's just kind of a it's a whim. And you feel like Hudsucker Proxy is a whim? Yeah, I totally do. Like, I don't feel like there's anything big that they're trying to get across to me. It feels like okay, that was a lot of fun to watch. It was it was really pretty. I mean, it's gorgeously shot. The production design is stunning. Even though I never quite got you know it takes place in the 50s but it looks like the 30s you know there's a weird disconnect for me there i don't know if i care but it definitely feels that way um and and uh i don't know i guess i just i mean i get what you're saying about kind of the the corporate control and all that but i don't know i didn't get any of that out of the film i i can see yeah maybe it's something they're putting there but to me it just seems like it's just like something to just kind of do hmm. That's how I that's how I felt about it. 
You know, I, I don't know. And, I and, Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. It just doesn't feel like, you know, something, they're trying to do something bigger with it. You know, I, I, I don't, this, maybe this gets to, to the question of lesser. I, you know, I don't necessarily think that, that the film has to have uh, larger aspirations than, than what it is to not be a lesser film. Um, You know, here we have a what is a simple story, again, about a complex issue. Uh, But I I also think that they present this issue in a way that that, um, you know, deals with capitalism, uh, the economic weights on giant complex systems uh, and puts a face on it that many people can understand. Mm -hmm. And that's a hard thing to do. And. Is that not worthy of more appreciation than it's given, perhaps? Like they, yeah, perhaps. they are doing an audacious thing. They're making what you know amounts to a, a you know, they're they're trying to with this film sort of culturally to educate around an issue that is that that is, um, I think, an important one. Um, Particularly as you look at the the case of the film, uh, you know, as it ages, you know, and we see more and more of the Hudsucker proxy happening right now through complex complex patent litigation and uh, in the corporate culture of greed that we have set up right now, um, you know, isn't haven't we seen then um, the the Coens try to sort of sound a, a bit of a cultural warning call I mean, you know not to put too fine a point on it i mean isn't isn't that um you know worth a few laughs <laughs> well sure but at the same time i would argue are they was that really their intention i mean it's great that you can read all of that in this film i didn't read any of that in this film to me it just seemed like yay it's fun you know, mean old boss is trying to, you know, put a puppet in control. I didn't get any of that additional stuff out of it. I think it's great that you can. I think it's great that anyone can and college kids write, can write term papers on that and describe all of that. I didn't see that in the film. I don't think that's I don't think that's a problem with the film. I don't think it's uh, I, I think it's great that somebody could get all that out. Um, I just didn't find that in it. And so, you know, I. I don't think I personally would give the Coens any credit for that. You don't think Joel and Ethan thought of that? I don't. I don't think so. Totally calling them after the show. Yeah, you call them right now. Get them on the line. All right, hold on. <laughs> uh, the the uh, yeah. See, I don't know. I don't want to. It's I mean, not like I want to uh, like hammer this home because I, you know, I think you're right. At the same time, uh, this is pretty much what we do every week. Sure. Well, yeah, that's the that's the nature of it. Yeah. I think it's great. I, I think it's important to be able to find things in the story, and I think two people could go at a film in two completely different ways. One can find a whole different message in it, and the other person can can find just a you know a, a laugh and a good time in it. What does it tell you that the script was filmed right after Blood Simple? But it couldn't get made. You mean the script was written right after Blood Simple? Right, right. Isn't that what you I said, said? Yeah, you said filmed. Yeah, no, I didn't mean that at all. <laughs> well, I think it's interesting. I mean, they themselves say we were nobodies at that point. Nobody was going to give us the money it was going to take to make that movie. Because, I mean, this was, and I think might still be, I haven't looked into it, but what it's if not still, it's, it's certainly one of the most expensive films that they've made. Um, coming in at, I believe, $40 million was the production budget on this film. So definitely it was a, a pretty high budget for these guys coming uh, um, not, not right away in their careers, but certainly earlier in their careers. And um, I, I think that the reason that they waited so long was because they wanted it to be a film that had the right budget for it. You know, this was their fifth film, they needed a little more clout and with the style of it, with everything they had going, I mean, you can see the, the amazing production design, everything in it, the period costumes, all of that stuff builds to a film that looks the way that it was meant to look. If they tried making this right after blood simple, I can't imagine 
what that would end up looking like. It would look like, you know, high school kids putting on a show. None of none of the nothing would look right. You know, they wouldn't have had the budget for it. So I don't know. I guess that's what I see when I um, look at that and why they waited so long. And and they said as much. Mm -hmm. So you don't think we're college kids writing term papers about that part? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, although maybe they did write a story in college or write write a paper in college about, you know, the corporate takeover and corporate greed and puppets well, and corporations. How, and then they go, hey, yes, what about <laughs> Professor uh, uh, Nelson? The uh, connection between uh, Dennis Gassner's uh, production design and the story. Because this is one of the things I think that works so well. Uh, when you look at so many of the large scapes and so much of the, you know, um, I, you know, I mentioned Brazil as a as a obvious to me sort of visual influence, uh, but but very much that sort of Art Deco kind of uh, exuberant architecture and um, you know the the words sort of fascist architecture has sort of been tossed around when you think of. Um, you know, this era uh, across the red block, uh, you know, there is a, I, I think there is a really uh, sort of beautiful connection between this simple comedic story of corporate greed and capitalism and the sort of nuance or the insinuation of the uh, production design uh, toward the, the uh, more sort of fascist uh, approach to um, commerce. Yeah. And, and, and just the frenetic pace of it and everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah. The, the, just the, 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 uh, you know, the labor issues that, uh, I think in particular, you look at the blue letter, right. And the whole, the nature of the blue letter, mm -hmm. the blue letter, uh, is a, uh, executive to executive, uh, uh missive, right. It's a, a piece of paper, that needs to be read only by the other executive to which it is written. So in this right. case, the CEO, wearing Hudsucker, had written a blue letter to be delivered only to uh, uh, Sidney Musburger. Right. Now, Sidney Musburger and wearing Hudsucker are often in meetings together, and their offices are right next door to each other. Yeah, right across from the back of the clock. Right. And yet... Uh, Again, bringing in this sort of uh, labor, uh, the 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 uh, the the whole sort of concept of labor. What we see here is uh, the number of hands that need to be uh, involved indirectly or directly in delivery of this letter. The letter goes up down from the the senior executive's office all the way down to the very uh, basement to the mailroom, uh, where the letter is uh, brought through the room with some great ceremony. As everyone, all other business shuts down, right? Everybody else stops work. And this right. is, you know, hundreds of bodies stop work in order for the letter to be handed to the one person who can actually then take the letter back up to the uh, other executive's office. Highlighting this sort of sense of inefficiency uh, that, that comes with complex organizations. Yeah. It is quite a process. I, I love that sequence. To me, that is a that is a perfect sequence. It's funny. Uh, it it um, you know it illustrates a key point in a way with a nice smile on its face, and and the absurdity of it sort of lends to uh, the overall aesthetic of the film. Yeah, I love how they put that together. Well, that I, I think paired with the uh, moment shortly before that, where his new boss in the mailroom is basically giving him his orientation in yeah. the form of a, a rat-a-tat dialogue moment that gives him, you know, a thousand rules, all of which he has to remember. Otherwise, he'll be docked, right? Yes. This paycheck will be docked, as it's made very clear after every sentence. Well, and I, he, I, it's great because when he says, you know, your your number, because which he remembers, your ID number is, you know, some god-awful... Yeah. Fifteen digit number, and he says it will not be repeated, you know, right. or you will be docked. <laughs> right. It was all. It all just that, like all of that, 
corporate machinery at work. I mean, reminds me of all the best moments from everything from modern times to Brazil to Joe versus the Volcano. I mean, they all have that great corporate machine at work. And I think that works really well here, even going so far as to like some of the other montages, like the laughing montage once he's hired. And it's just this montage of, of him and all of the, the members of the board just basically like laughing. And then he's getting his, you know, his uh, hair done and he's laughing. And it's just like they're all laughing together at the celebration of, of all of this crazy corporate, you know, the way that the corporate machine brought him to the top and everything. And I, I don't know. It's just that all of that stuff, I think, is just really interesting what, the way that it was constructed. Well, I'm really glad you brought up that particular montage. Um, you know, that's the success montage. You know, when when he uh, when the hula hoop is actually um, approved and manufactured to manufacturing. No, this, that's that that that's what I wrote down as the approval montage. But oh, before okay. that, there was a I called it the laughing montage. Oh, right, right, like right. Where he's like getting his hair cut first, and all that right, stuff. Yeah. Right after he's first hired, right, and he's just yeah. laughing with all of them. But yeah, then there's the approval montage followed by the sales montage of the, you know, extruded plastic dingus. <laughs> you know, exactly, like... <laughs> which is great, the way it cuts in and out of marketing, and it cuts in and out right. of all the different departments that need to approve, and all the stamps, the, the silhouetted right. hand stamps of, of approval approval for manufacturing, etc. Uh, and, and I love that montage. It may be one of my favorite montages, with the exception of the... Um, uh, Team America World Police, we need a montage montage. <laughs> That's hard to top that one. Which is very hard to top, uh, the self-referential montage. But in this case, the success montage I love so much because it, it, it encapsulates, I think structurally, so much of the film that we don't need to see. This is exactly why montages exist and a great example of when they work. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, yeah, absolutely. We get to see him. It, it is approved. He gets to be okay with, with moving forward. Sidney Musburger sees this as a great opportunity for him to fail. When he fails, the price of the stock falls, so the board can then buy the stock at, at bargain basement price. That's the whole point of him being in there as a dupe, of, of Norville Barnes being in there as a dupe. This montage is going to give us the entire soup-to-nuts experience of his epic failure driving the stock price down. But that's not what happens. And over the course of about two and a half minutes, we get to see the stock price or, or the, the the extruded plastic dinguses, the hula hoops that were his idea, get dumped into the market. The prices fall. Uh, nobody buys them. And then one magical child, one mm -hmm. magical child sees it and can miraculously gyrate his hips in just the right way to get everyone else in his class excited about them. That, I think, is... It's a spellbinding bit. It is. It really is. You're not excited I, enough about it. No, I, I think it's great. And I think it's it was a great choice setting it to catch Turian's music. That, that frenetic music just goes so well with the frenetic pace the film has set up at, at this point. And when the kids are watching this one young child, you know, hula hoop around his waist and then around his foot and then around his neck, and he's just awesome. And they all freak out and they all want to go buy him. And you have that frenetic music playing. It just, it, it works so well. And it's really, I mean, it is an absolutely fantastic moment. That's the sort of moment that I think keeps this film really enjoyable and keeps me really excited about watching this film. Like I said, it's a very fun film to watch. And that's a, that's a moment, you're right, that's a, that is a great moment from this film and probably one of the moments that I will go on remembering from this film. It is the moment that I remembered of this film, you know, in going into this review of it. Like it's the it's the moment I was looking forward to. When you see the the store proprietor slapping the prices, uh, the price stickers on the um, you know on the hula hoop thing, that's, giving them yeah, away free montage. with purchase. Right, that's a great <laughs> bit. And then it brings it. The price goes back up and uh, to uh, you know higher than the original uh, right. manufactured sale price. Uh, you know, I find that. Really wonderful, just a a wonderful, uh, wonderfully executed uh, sequence in the film. Yeah, it absolutely is. Yeah. I mean, I think all the montages are really handled well, but this is kind of the pinnacle moment of the whole film for me. I mean, it really stands out as the the moment that the film is all about, and it 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 kind of 
makes me feel like this is the moment that, like, the image that they first had in their heads yeah, when they wrote it. This is why I mean, they wrote the movie. This is then they wrote the movie around it. I have no idea if that's true or not, but it feels that way because this moment, mo- this moment, is such a, a great moment in the film. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, let's see. Who else do we need to talk about with this film that stands out to you? Should we talk? I mean, you know, we talked about the the uh, sort of visuals of the film, uh, but we, you know. I think one of the um, we, the the camera moves are um, you know there's a lot of wonderful sweeping, yeah. wonderful crane work. Uh, is this um, uh, would you call this uh, a a Deaconesque film? Well, I don't know if I call it Deaconesque, <laughs> but it certainly is. It does fit in with what Deacon has done. Uh, Deacons has done with the Coens, you know, I mean, coming off of Barton Fink, this is their second film together. And in these comedies like Big Lebowski or Brother, Where Art Thou? Uh, he is certainly not afraid to uh, have a lot of this craziness going on in his films. It just seems to come from them. And because you look at his other films, his other films look great. But I mean, his stuff with Sam Mendes, his stuff with Edward Zwick, all of his other films. I mean, they're they're gorgeous, but I don't think that they have that same frenetic energy that comes when he's working with the Coens in their comedies. I agree with that. I wonder though, do you, how do you see this as an evolution of his uh, work with them on after uh, Barton Fink? I mean, hmm. is there anything? Do you do you can you can you give me a comparison? Well, you know, this is definitely, I don't know if I'd say definitely, but this is certainly one of the uh, most showy films he's done with them. After this was Fargo, which I think had a lot more restraint. Um, The Big Lebowski, certainly. I mean, really, it depends on the nature of the film. But even when he goes back to some of the other comedies, I mean, actually, I think Intolerable Cruelty and The Lady Killers in uh, like 10 years ago now were his last two comedies with them. They they had some of that uh, frenetic feel to them, but nowhere near the levels that he exhibits here. And even in Barton Fink, to a certain extent, although I don't think Barton Fink was quite as as frenetic, this and The Big Lebowski seem to be a little more a little more big. Um, I, I don't know. I, I feel like he's evolved as a DP with them just by learning to fine tune some of that craziness and and being okay with some stuff that's a little more refined and a little more less or a little less uh over the top maybe less obvious it's it's an interesting uh you know kind of comparison it's a very similar kind of architectural style a, a production design between Bart and Fink and this yeah um you know and i think it's it's funny because you know Bart and Fink was set in 1941 um, but we're inside the hotel almost the entire time. Right. Uh, this film was set in, you know, it was through, over the course of what, 1959? 1958. 1958 and, it, and 59. And uh, yeah, it ends at the beginning of 59. That's right. New Year's uh, 1959. And, but it, it was very much sort of inspired by the 1930s, as we've already talked about. Right. Uh, it, it's, uh, I think it can, you know, it makes a, a kind of logical uh, progression for these guys, you know, and they spend so much time in this era, um, kind of calling on this this period. Um, it's it's funny to see as we do more of their films, just how many of their films are sort of his, historical film wannabes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, they definitely have that. I mean, he he does that really well with them. Barton Fink, Hudsucker Proxy. I mean, Fargo. It's interesting though, they're they're like historical fantasies. Like I'm struggling with how to how to characterize them because they're not they're they're not rooted, uh, you know, firmly in reality. These films. No, but they have. Well, but I think a lot of that's the Coens, don't you? I mean, I, I certainly think that Roger Deakins and his cinematography paired with the production design and the costume design and everyone else working on the, on the teams all bring to the film that kind of fantastical period it feel totally, that's going on. Totally. Agree. Barton Fink, Hudsucker Proxy, 
Uh, oh, Brother, Where Art Thou certainly has that. The Lady Killers certainly has that. Uh, you know, I mean, they, they delve into a little more realism, I guess, with, you know, uh, Serious Man and True Grit as a couple more Still regular periodish period films, though. Yeah. Well, they're, not, they're not, period, not, but they're not, they don't have those fantastical elements in them. Right, exactly. Even even Inside Lewin Davis is very, uh, very much a period film, but not one that's fantastical in any way. It's a very, is much more realist period film. Yeah. So I, I it's I think a lot of it's just the Coens. I, I they they like to dabble in that fantasy, and they it does seem to be more period when they kind of go there, except for the Big Lebowski, which has some of that going on in it, but uh, it's uh, mostly I think feels pretty modern. Not quite as fantastical. Like just the, the just word you're looking wild, for absurd. <laughs> <laughs> Wild and crazy. Okay, uh, is there anything else important to you in this film? Do you? I mean, you 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 say you don't want to watch it again. I mean, you're... no, I say I'll watch it again. I'm. I, I'd say it's the one. It's not one that I would run out and put on that often. But it is a fun film. There's nothing about it that that keeps me from watching. Like if it was on, I'd watch it. It's not one that I would turn away from. It's easy to. It's easy to watch. It's easy to enjoy. But it's not one that uh, sticks with me that much. I that's fair. I that's fair. I'm not going to fight yeah. you on it. I'm just not going to fight you on it. Um, I uh, do think that um, this is one of those movies that uh, uh, you know it's it's sort of sanitized enough as a Cohen film that I think it works for more audiences than many of their other films. Uh, it, it's a fun film that I enjoyed watching with my, uh, you know, with my daughter, mm -hmm. uh, who also enjoyed it. I think because of the simplicity of the message and uh, because of the sort of the uh, uh, the hula hoop was a, was something that she could relate to, and and watching that process process that montage was something really, um, you know, fascinating to her. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. and um, it, you know I think it was it was easy to embrace by a broad audience so I think it's a fun film to watch it's a great sort of other holiday film for us to talk about what do you think uh, I'm curious because it it never quite fits with me uh, very well but what do you think of the um, the additional story going on between Moses the Clockman, played by Bill Cobbs and Aloysius the Janitor played oh, by Harry Dugan. I'm so glad you brought that up. I see I'd already forgotten it. That is the piece that I find ultimately forgettable. I don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense to me why it's in there. That uh, the the uh, janitor and the clockman. I mean, we have this sort of um, it's like an good angel and, and evil. Demon it's or an angel yeah, and I... it's the devil and heaven and the, and and it it's sort of um, it's a funny thing. It gets back to the fairy tale that we that we started off with, right? That we have right. this experience of the universe that we're in. We have the omniscient voice of the clockman. We have the clock. We we know that the clock is important in the story, but it's like out of nowhere that the clock becomes all powerful in the story. That the clock becomes the yeah. um, the allegory for the passage of time. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the statement on the clock, you know, the future is now you write that off as the, um, you know, as the, the tale of the company trying to be forward looking, but really that you end up walking away with that being after the end of the film, um, more of a, a encouragement to live your life for the now kind of a thing. Um, and so at the great fall We've already seen Charles Durning throw himself out the window to his death. Right. And then we see Tim Robbins uh, do the same thing. At the Great Fall, then we have the clockman jam the broom into the clock. And that's the, that's the rather jarring um, uh, uh, admission of the film that there are greater powers at work that we haven't right. seen. Right. And I have a and problem it... with that because there's no hint of it anywhere else in the film. Not at all, and that's and that, that's probably I think you're hitting it right on the head as to why it feels so out of place. Because initially you have this voice, and it feels like it is kind of that fairy tale. Somebody's telling you the story. Then later you meet that voice, and it is Moses the clock repairman or the clock guy, and it's like, oh, okay, so he's not just a voice telling us the story. He's kind of that that 
character who's in the story who happens to be omniscient because he's kind of eavesdropping on everybody. Okay, I can go along with that. And then all of a sudden he's like, you know, he and this clock are all powerful and, and controlling how time flows. It it comes across really kind of out of place. Yeah, it's it's a bridge too far, I think, for yeah. for the film for me. I I don't uh, I you know I say I don't get it. I mean I get it. I get my read of it, and uh, but I, I think you know part of the problem there there's sort of the the primary problem to me where it's the the sort of jarring introduction of uh, Moses as God, uh, uh, right, or as the yeah. of the clockman as God, mm-hmm. but there is the even more jarring. Um, admission that the janitor who all we have seen through the course of the film all we've seen him do is paint names on doors right paint paint them on and scratch them off and scratch them <laughs> off that he actually has this this uh, you know this role of being the uh, the great witness uh, yeah. of the dark yeah it comes out of nowhere it like comes all of out of nowhere yeah. and i i think I, I think you're right on and for me that is the that is a major weakness, as uh, evidenced by the fact that I'd already forgotten that that was in there. I, there's yeah. so much more of the film that works for me than uh, you know the the great climax that does not. Although we don't we didn't talk necessarily about Charles Durning, Durning uh, reappearing as the angel of wearing Hudsucker with a with a ukulele <laughs> and right. and giving this this final speech to Tim Robbins where he is frozen in time now. This is one of those things that it feels sort of shoehorned into the film to me. Yet I like the moment a lot. I like the result. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Right, right, yeah. I don't like how they got to the point where the clock has this power to put the broom in it and it is all time. But no. I do I do like the 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 moment that they have well, in, uh, in the air. Especially because if if it freezes time and starts up again, his fall should theoretically be starting up as it had been continuing already. But what happens is every time he, the time starts up again, it start, he starts falling as if he's just started falling. So by the time he has his last fall, he's, I don't know, like five feet from the ground. And so it's only like he does a five foot fall. It's not not even that it's like inches. Yeah. It's not like he fell, you know, 144 floors or however many it was. Right. You know, so it, 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 it is a, it's a, technique that they use that I think is is pretty ridiculous and I have a hard time buying into that whole element of the story <laughs> okay I'm gonna give you that I'm gonna give you that uh, even though I think that you know for me the fall bit never really affected me um, and I, I think it's because uh, of the just the otherwise kind of fantastical environment that they've set up but that you know I I, I see I see your point you see where I'm going. How, how did it do in the box office? This, uh, you know, like I said, I mean, they had about $40 million for this. Uh, it looks like about $25 million to make the movie and then $15 million for Princeton advertising. Um, so $40 million adjusted to today's dollars. That's $62 million. This film made at the box office uh, <laughs> $2.8 million. <laughs> This is, uh, of all the films that we have talked about, that we have found information for, this is the worst performing film that we have discussed. Adjusted, it lost $519,000 per finished minute. So that's a lot of money to go out the door. This was, Joel Silver, uh, he latched on to these guys after his other, um, after their other films and their big win at uh, at the Cannes Film Festival with uh, Barton Fink and everything, he was a you know a big Hollywood player and he latched onto them. I think thinking that they were going to do great stuff with it, and I, I don't think he ever worked with them again, did he? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I think this is his one film with them, and then he realized that uh, he <laughs> needed to go work with some other people. <laughs> So there, I'm going to say this. I think there are a lot of people who don't agree with me. But of those of us who contributed to that $2.8 million, we stand <laughs> united. I, you know, I know a lot of people who really, it's, there's that contingency of people who do really like this film. I just, I enjoy it. It's not anything that uh, sticks with me, though. All right. So. Let's rank it. All right, let's do it. I worry about this. 
Because <laughs> even though I do like this film a lot, I really do. I love it. I like a lot of movies more. Uh, yep. Yeah. All right. Where can so if you head us? to, oh yeah, that's my part. <laughs> you can find us. You head over to flickchart.com slash the next reel, and you can find our uh, our big list of all the films that we have uh, uh, reviewed and rated and ranked uh, over the over the many years that we've been doing this. Are we? That's ready? right. We're ready. Hudsucker proxy, or thank you for smoking. Thank you for smoking. Absolutely. Thank you for smoking. The Hudsucker proxy or big fish. <laughs> <laughs> big fish. I, I would go Big Fish, too. So there. The Hudsucker <laughs> Proxy or You're Next. <laughs> All right, this sucks. I know what you're going to go with. Hudsucker. <sighs> you cannot I, tell me. This is... I, no, I I would probably go with Hudsucker over You're Next. Yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed You're Next. Um, it's you know a fun horror movie, but... It's not one that I would put on that often. Hudsucker Proxy or Dawn of the Dead, 2004. Dawn of the Dead. That's right. Hello, we're if, dead. Now, if Charles Durning came back as a zombie instead of an angel. Maybe Hudsucker. <laughs> uh, the Hudsucker Proxy or Christmas in Connecticut. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. I'm going to say Christmas in Connecticut. I no, I, I mean, am. no, no, no. I, I, oh. lied. That's, I don't know what I was talking about. I'm going to say Hudsucker. Oh man! See, I was gonna go with Christmas in Connecticut. I, uh, hmm. I don't know. I, I okay. I'll go with Hudsucker only because it's a film that I feel if it's on, I'll watch either of the films. But Hudsucker is easier to watch if it's on year round. Christmas in <laughs> Connecticut feels That's just a timely. Fantastic rationalization. Just <laughs> I got to come up with something. The Hudsucker Proxy or Thor: The Dark World. It's got to be Thor. Got to be on. Thor. Yeah. The Hudsucker Proxy or Major League. Um, Major League. Yeah, I think I'll go Major League too. Well, there you go. Number one hundred eight oh, out of one twenty-eight did sorry. not make it into the top one hundred. I'm sorry, Hudsucker. <laughs> <laughs> not quite, not quite, but uh, all right. Nice you know, it's, it's it's it is a fun movie. It is. I'll give you that. So. And it's a New Year's movie. It's so we didn't even talk about that. The ticking clock is the is when the stock is gonna they're gonna be revert to to public uh, stock so that the board can buy it. And so that's the right. race is to fail Norval Barnes by the time uh, midnight strikes. Night. Yeah, yeah. I love that bit. It's it is a nice little tie into the season. There you go. That. Happy freaking <laughs> New Year <laughs> for the kids. For the kids, you know, for the kids. I worked for two and a half years on this. <laughs> That's <a> great bit. <laughs> I stake my Pulitzer on it. <laughs> we could go on. All right. Hey, uh, good talk. So where do we go from here? That was our New Year film. And that yeah, means now no. we're go- we're headed back into our seasons. We jump into an official series, and our, we're gonna yeah first real series of the uh, 2014. 2014, yeah, we're going to do a series with the wonderful and talented Richard Dysart, uh, actor, supporting actor, TV actor, stage actor. Uh, we love Richard Dysart, and we're gonna do a uh, we're gonna do three movies with him in it day of the locust being there and pale rider excellent yeah we've already talked about him in the thing and in uh, the hospital and in the hospital that's right that's right so uh definitely love richard dice art it should be a fun little series to throw in right at the beginning of the year excellent so that's it we're out of here for now and we will catch you uh much much later in exactly seven days later in 2014 exactly thanks everybody Ciao. I gotta go to bed.
I'm of a mind. Makes a moogie. Makes a moogie? <laughs> That's what it sounds like he says. <laughs> That's what I've always said. I mean, I know it couldn't be that because it's not words. There aren't words in there. But I swear he says, I'm of a mind. Makes a moogie. <laughs> I bet you're right. I, you know what? I'm sure that's exactly what he said. Do you says. know what I'm let's, talking let's about? Let's pull up the script. Yeah, Batman. All right. Nicholson. Lawrence? Lawrence? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Come on. What do you pa- got? Then it's Party Man, right? Yeah. 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 Party I Man. I know. I know, I know Party my Batman. Man. Do you have the no. uh, original limited edition Bat Can? No. The Bat Can. I have the Bat Can. I have the bat plunger. No, the bat can was the original, the limited edition Prince soundtrack that came in a, uh, looks like an eight millimeter uh, film can that is black and stamped with the bat logo on it. Wow. Party man. Awesome. Can like that... to party yeah. like no can. I wish I was recording because that would be my new ringtone for you. <laughs> Oh, there's Pete again. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, goodness. Um, All right, stop talking. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM. And it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content. And we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, Go to thenextreel.com slash transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash transistor. Start growing your podcast today. <laughs> 